living in the moment. I think that because as we get older and we tend to look for and we long for more and more adventures, when they come, we try to capture them. As our kids were growing up, we, we took our kids to Disneyland in California. We took our kids to Disneyland in Florida. We took our kids to SeaWorld in San Diego, San Antonio, and in Orlando, because we wanted them to enjoy the adventures. And as we went on those adventures, I had a nickname. My nickname was called The Bagman. The reason I was The Bagman is I was not in any way, shape, or form going to get on any ride that was going to cause my stomach to go visit the back of my tongue. And so, I, although I wanted everyone to enjoy the adventures that we were on, so I sat at the bottom of the ride, and I would just hold everybody's bag. And so I got to be known as the bag man. It was my nickname. And, and the sad thing is, is that when it comes to Christianity, the greatest adventure you could ever live, the one that you will get to spend all of eternity getting snapshots of new things, is often lived out like I did at those different adventure parks as the bagman, Sitting, taking care of something, while everyone else is out there enjoying, I don't call the rides fun, but in Christianity, enjoying the fun. In fact, we've really gotten to the place where uh, we have uh, not stepped out in our Christianity and not enjoyed the new experiences that God intends for each of us to enjoy. The Pentecostal lifestyle is intended to be adventurous. It's intended to put us on the edge. A guy years ago, I don't remember who spoke it, I just so connected with it, he just said, hey, if you're not living life on the edge, you're taking up too much space. That's the Pentecostal Christian life, where we are right on the edge, where if God doesn't do something, oh, it's going to get a bit crazy. It's going to get a bit wild. In September of 2020, of course, this 2020 is the great year of COVID. And, and you know, here in Texas, we got to go out and live lives a little bit quicker than the rest of the world did. And so I actually was invited to Houston to go spend a time with, some, with a pastor who asked me to come down and just uh, speak into his life and talk to him about ministry and so on and so forth. And as I'm driving down, the Lord just started to talk to me about what had taken place with COVID as compared to the first church. The first church, by the way, they, they, en they endured an incredible amount of persecution. And do you know what they did when persecution came? They ran. They scattered. They weren't able to, to, to group together and just be able to enjoy the presence of Jesus and worship. They were scattered. In fact, Acts chapter 8 says it this way. It says that, uh, of course, Peter is, or Paul is doing his persecution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, and Samaria, except the apostles. So the apostles, they stayed in Jerusalem, but everybody else went. And as they went, it says in verse 4 of that chapter, now those who were scattered, it wasn't the church leaders. It wasn't the bagmen of the day. No, who was scattered, they went about preaching the word. So the people that had came to the faith, they were out sharing the gospel. So as I'm driving to Houston, the Lord said, 
you know, I scattered, allowed this church to be scattered during COVID. And not only did nobody preach the world word, they never even came back to church. Now, let me tell you this right up front. You coming to church is not a problem. It's a symptom. They, they, even to this day, and I've mentioned this a number of times, they, they believe that less than half of the people came back to, to church. And the Lord, the Lord began to talk to me about how we have spent so, ta- so much time trying to build the church. We've taken over his job. What the first church did is they made disciples, people who, who live their life following Jesus alone. And it's that type of Christianity that went about spreading the word. And Jesus said, you have a choice. You can go back and do things the same and get the same result. Or you can go back and you start doing things differently and look for a different result. Because we were never called to build the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. We're called to make disciples. And when disciples are scattered, they make a difference wherever they go. Why? Because they understand that the Pentecostal lifestyle is a lifestyle of adventure. It's a lifestyle where you get on the edge where God has to show up and show off. Where it's not all about your personality or my personality other than the personality of Jesus Christ. But now in this world, we are we're risk averse. We, we run away from the chance that God might show up. Now, certainly uh, the church early on, they didn't want to die, so they were scattered. They ran from. But it didn't stop them from looking for the adventure of the gospel that they stepped into. So it said that they preached as they went. Now, this sermon, when we talk about the preaching of Pentecost, is about you and I preaching as we go. Now, don't, I don't want you to shut me out there. Some of you are going, I didn't go to seminary. I barely made it through Sunday school, or I never even went to Sunday school. The fact of the matter is, is the Scripture says they preached as they went. I want to, we're going to come back to that, but I want to get to the launching point of all this found in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 22. And I've got verses 22 through 24, and then I'm going to jump down uh, just because of context, verses 36 through 41. Peter, as everybody's gotten everybody's attention, their eyes are fixed on him, and he says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Then verse 36 says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, 
Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. There are people in your life, there are people in my life, that need to hear the same words that Peter said. Hear these words. There are not enough people in our day speaking up in the right areas. Since the school shooting, there's been all sorts of people standing up saying, we need to do this, we need to do that, we need to do this, we need to do that. That was done wrong, that was done wrong. This person should be fired, that person is a hero, whatever, whatever they say. And none of this is ultimately helpful. What followed the attention that Peter got was words that were helpful. And where he goes on and he says, no for certain, God, that is our starting point. It, it, it doesn't take any kind of exposition for us to recognize that the devil is working constantly, nonstop to make himself known. He's made himself known through someone's little lie to someone's murderous rampage. It's our responsibility in this great adventure of the Pentecostal lifestyle to let people know for certain that God, in an uncertain world, God is absolutely certain. He goes on and a little bit later, and he says these words. He says, he, it says, continue to exhort them. Now, I'm not, I'm not advocating you do this on Facebook, but exhort means to speak strongly or to incite an argument. And how many arguments has the church fought that has led a person to say yes to Jesus? I would say the majority of our arguments are incorrect because they don't lead people to Jesus. They lead people away from Jesus. Another piece that he says is real interesting before we kind of move through the points this morning is he said, he said, I'm going to reference it this week and next week. He said, save yourself from this crooked generation. Save yourself from this crooked generation. The crooked generation that we live in offers all sorts of adventures. I can get on TikTok, and I, and I kind of scroll through TikTok, and I see the adventure of owning a million-dollar center console boat living in Miami. I'm telling you, that's adventurous to me. I may not get on a roller coaster, but I'm more than happy to go 100 and 200 miles offshore. I like that. It's exciting. But what does that lead to? It leads to a time of fun. leads to a time of enjoyment. But in this generation, just like in the generation that Peter is talking to, all the things that offer adventure, all the things that offer a life that is worthwhile will come to an end and come to naught. You may get a bunch of pictures, but then you're just going to look back at those pictures and try to relive it through the pictures. But then the ultimate adventure really starts by the last thing that he said, that ultimately those that, were, that received the word were about 3,000. 
the greatest adventure that we could ever live is to have changed lives around us. Now, understand that God gets their attention, but we point them in the direction. God gets their attention, but we point them in the right direction. Let me say that one more time. God gets their attention, we point them in the right direction. Pentecostal preaching is about us pointing people towards a right direction. The crooked generation, the bend, is always going to lead away from Jesus. It's going to lead away from the life that God has intended and purposed for people. Our responsibility is to point them in that right direction. God gets their attention, and we point them in the right direction. So how do we, how do we begin to live that? Well, it starts with a, a very simple but profound and important belief that we must have in our hearts. And it's simply this. This is the place really of connection today. And it's simply this, that Christianity is Christ. Christianity is Christ. Now, you're already going, well, of course, duh, that makes perfect sense. The majority of people will say, of course, that makes perfect sense, but do not make Christianity Christ. They make Christianity other things. Now, let me come back to, let me come back to that uh, chapter 8 and verse 4. It said that they went preaching the word. If Christianity is Christ, they didn't go about preaching the Bible. Hear me on this. They didn't go preaching the Bible. John says, in the beginning was what? The Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word is God. Everything that they preached was Jesus. Jesus was everything to them. And so they didn't need a seminary degree. They didn't need to have finished a Sunday school class. They actually were in relationship with Jesus, and Jesus was everything to them. They didn't go, well, I need to develop a three-point sermon for my coworker. We didn't do that. But what we've done is we've, we've confused sermonizing with preaching. Preaching is a matter of making people know and understand Jesus. And Jesus is not just in history. We don't go about talking about a Jesus that lived 2,000 years ago. Jesus is alive and active today. Since ultimately, and this is not a new thing, this has been since the beginning. We don't, we don't see this a lot in Scripture. Uh, early on in the book of Acts, primarily, uh, we, people uh, always tend to make it about themselves. And so Christianity, we tend to preach, it's about you. You need to come to Jesus as your personal Savior. And so when you come, when you make Jesus your personal Savior, well, then you put him in the back pocket of your, of your life. And when Jesus is there, you pull it out like a badge and say, well, in Jesus' name, you need to do this. In Jesus' name, you need to do that. We've thus then made ourselves the center of Christianity. What's another common area that we do when we don't make Christ the center of Christianity? Uh, we ultimately believe that our Christian faith depends on you, depends on me. And so we look in the mirror and we don't think we are good enough. We don't have enough faith. We've, we still have these issues in our life. And so we take that on upon ourselves and believe that if I don't get this fixed, if I don't get this straightened out, if I don't make sure that, finish it any way you want, then I'm not a Christian. But when Christ is the center Christ is the one who took away your sin. 
Christ is perfect so that you might live in his perfection. I'm giving you a lot of good places to amen, by the way. But in, in Peter's sermon, he said, he said these words. He says, God appointed him Lord and Christ. That means that you didn't do that and I didn't do that. I didn't make him Lord. I didn't make him the chosen one. God did. I just believe that God did. And by believing that God did, now I come around what God has already done. See, I'm now not trying to shape and mold God into my image. I'm accepting and realizing that, wait a minute, he already has this image. I might as well conform around that. And while I know that he chose me, I also know that Jesus is the chosen one, which is much bigger than him choosing me. He's both Lord and Christ. That means that with all of the ugliness, with all of the issues, with all the divisions, with all the things that are going on in the world, I can step back and go, wait a minute, Jesus is still the ruler of heaven and earth. And whatever kind of ugly expression is going on in the world right now, I can step back and go, that's not the center of my world. It may be on the fringe, but the center of my world is Jesus. And he's, there's coming a day where he's going he's gonna to remove all that. Until that, he's still my center. He's still the Lord of my life. He's still the chosen one. And no one's going to be able to assert that reality because God established it. So here's what it looks like when Christ is the center. It really, this is the place where we, we, we really want to, to really be transformed, where our lives grow into this place. The very first thing is we have to learn Christ. We have to learn it. Paul said this. Paul said these words. He said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Here's the reality. If you believe that, that you are going to be raised from the dead, please do not wait until your deathbed to want to experience that. All these people live their life and then without making Jesus the center, and they, they, they go, well, I'm going to heaven, well, I'm going to heaven. But when it comes to the place where they are ready to die, they are fearful of death because they've not experienced the reality of the resurrection before that moment. For me, it was a real personal thing as I was in a, a group of pastors in Florida, and we were praying before we were getting ready to go into class, and, and we, were, we were talking about the, the vines and the Lord cutting things off. And, and the Lord said, oh, he said this to me, and he doesn't do this often, but he just was really got in my face, and he said, oh, you think you are all that in your faith. You think you're ready to face death, and you won't allow these little deaths to happen in your life. And I went, okay, I don't want that. I want to experience the resurrection long before I get there. That's what Paul was saying. He's saying that the resurrection power is not just for when we're in the grave. The resurrection power is now. And so we tend to, when we recognize this, we're going, well, wait a minute. I, I want my life to, to look like him. I want, I want what's important to Jesus to be important to me. That's what I want. I desire that. And so I'm, I'm in the scriptures. I'm, I'm learning what it is that is important to Jesus. What was the most important thing to Jesus? 
The most important thing to Jesus was that he was doing what his father wanted him to do. So he was always looking. And listen, if you're not praying about at some level what the father wants you to do, you're missing it. Jesus, who was perfect, who'd had no sin, he, was a, he, would, he would pray all night because he wanted to know what the father wanted him to do. See, the father, the father chose him, so he had to reject the life everybody else wanted for him. For us, learning Jesus is about learning what he wants us to receive and what he wants us to reject. Now, I know that's just not a fun American gospel. But if Christianity is Christ and Christ is the center of everything, then if we're not rejecting the things that he wants us to reject so we can receive the things he wants us to give, he wants to give us, then ultimately what we're doing is we're living a pretty boring Christian life because we're only going after the things that we want to go after. But Jesus, he went about, he'd been about doing good and healing people. I don't know how many, what the percentage of Christians who've actually ever prayed for someone to be healed. But I got to think that Jesus is in the healing business today. Do you think he only heals on Sunday when we come to church? No. He's in the healing business. One, one of the, for me, one of the, the most uh, adventurous uh, nights of my life was when my friend's wife died and he asked if I would pray all night that she'd be raised from the dead. I said, absolutely, I'll pray for that. She wasn't raised from the dead. But man, God opened something up in that time of prayer that I had never experienced. Because I believe the God that we serve, he can raise the dead. Now, it's just a matter of me getting on the same tune with the Father. Is that what he's doing? That's where the prayer comes in. That's why Jesus prayed all night. That's why he was constantly seeking. So I'm going, okay, Lord. I'll give up a night of sleep, and I'll die to that because I want you to move. When we talk about fasting, that's what fasting is about. Fasting is about saying, Lord, I'll die to this because I want more of you. And then what that does, it moves us into a place of laboring with him. Now, why does anybody labor? How many of you go to work for free? If you do, raise your hand because we got to talk. Because nobody goes to work for nothing. We labor for some form of reward. Whether it's, a, whether it's a paycheck or it's an investment, we are looking for a return. And laboring with Christ is about a return. What is our return? Our return is Him. We look to Him. We desire Him. That laboring, that's what it looks like. Paul said it this way. He said, he said, it's faith expressing itself in love. It's faith expressing itself in love. That could mean something as simple as choosing to love a person who is gossiping about you, who is trying to hurt you, who is saying things about you, and, and you say, you know what? I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to come after him. I believe that Jesus is in full control, so I'm going to give that over. You say, well, wait a minute, that's not preaching. If you can't do that, you're not going to be preaching. Because what happens when you do that is the life of Jesus 
becomes more of a reality in and through you that causes people to look and go, wait a minute, you're different. What makes a Christian different is when Christianity has Christ at the center, we die to things. We say no to the things of this crooked generation and say yes to him. Now, I'm not labeling all the things because that's the Holy Spirit's job to do in each and every one of our hearts. What he tells me to die to is going to be different than what he tells you to die to. But when Jesus is center, I want my life to look like Jesus. And in order for my life to look like Jesus, I can't set myself up as king. That means that, that I, I'm not going to build a kingdom where people will look and go, woo, he's the man. It means that I, I'm, I'm going to live a life that says I'm going to reject a lot of what people says, this is the way you're supposed to do it, and do what the Father has said to do. There is as much religious rejecting going on today as there was when Jesus was walking on the earth. And if you're making sure that Christ is the center, there is going to be a level of rejection. Because you don't just go to church on Sunday. Because you don't just get some form of godliness. No, you're saying no to things that other people want you to say yes to. And you end up looking different. But what you find is ultimately you end up looking more like Christ. So how do we get there? How do we get to where that's a normal part of our life? Well, that's, that's just three quick things I want to finish this out with. But first is we all have to start regularly looking for Christ. We have to look for him. Because Jesus is working. In some areas, in the middle of incredible tragedy where someone goes and shoots up a school, that's... That, that's incredibly difficult to see Jesus. Incredibly difficult. But I guarantee you he's working there. And, but for a person who's never been looking for Jesus and they find themselves in that moment, they're never going to see him. For you that find yourself in a life tragedy, if you've not spent a life looking for Jesus in the moment of the tragedy, you're not going to find him. Other people may even point him out and you're not going to see it. Why? Because it's never been at the heart. You've never said, I want to look where Jesus said, I want to find him in my marriage. I want to find him in my family. I want to find him in the workplace. Everywhere I go, I want to see Jesus working and see his activity. C.S. Lewis said, said it this way. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. We like God whispering to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. And whenever someone is in uh, my life and they're, and they're going through a lot of pain, my, my flesh, my first, my rich, my richest crooked way of, of approaching this is just to help him get out of the pain. But what God wants him to do is to find Jesus in the middle of the pain. Paul was, Paul was able to find Christ in every single season of life, whether he was rich, whether he was poor, whether he had food, he didn't have food, whether he was free or he was in jail, because he was in the habit of looking for the activity of Jesus on a regular basis. And so for me, and Clarissa, we pray this all the time. Jesus, help us see. Help us see what you're doing. Help us know the activity so that ultimately we might be able to step into adventurous moments. But at some point, when you begin to, when you begin to recognize what Jesus is doing in, in people's lives around you, that's the moment where God has said, now I've showed up. I've made myself, got their attention. It's our job. Remember what our job is? 
is to get them pointed in the right direction. That's our job. So God gets their attention. And what we do when we're looking for him is we're seeing, wait a minute, God's getting your attention here. Do you see what God is, is trying to accomplish here? Now, here's what you do with that. You turn away from the life that you've been living, and you receive the life of Jesus. You repent. Peter said, you repent and be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, in context, when he's, he's doing this, it's, it's, he's, he's really bringing people to a place that now it's not just a matter of getting into heaven, but God has a life purpose for you. God is going to empower you to live beyond your own human limitations so he can use you to get people's attention and point them in the right direction. And that's where the venture's at. One of the things I think that, that, that I kind of want to finish off with here is that you have to let Christ change them. Don't try to do the change. We're not any good at that. Right? We're not any good at it. Can't even change ourselves. We let Christ do it. Peter said, save yourself from the crooked generation. What was he saying? I gave you the tool. What you do with it is up to you. Save yourself. Here's how you do it. Receive Jesus. Change the direction that you're going. I'm really glad it's not my job to save people. As a pastor, I got people coming to me all the time saying, save me from this, save me from that, save me from this, save me from that. And you know what? Most nights I can go home and sleep just fine because it's not my job to save them. It's Jesus' job. And it's really cool because that's the adventure. It's out of our control. It's out of our ability. And it's in his power and his ability. I've got to wonder, and, I, and we're going to pray here in a moment, but I've got to wonder, while we live in this generation, and, and I, this morning I drove up 5.30 this morning to our church offices, and if you've not been to our church offices, we're on, we're on a hill, man. We are a city on a hill right there where the light shines, but it overlooks downtown Fort Worth, and it was dark, and all the lights were lit up. So what I just kind of felt like i got to try to capture this picture. I try to take a picture of the downtown Fort Worth all lit up. It started me thinking a little bit later is, I wonder if God does not have for us in heaven some form of memory of all the moments that we stepped into the adventure of preaching Jesus. Now, if I'm with a fisherman, I got to scroll through a lot of pictures to get to my big fish pictures. But when I'm in heaven, I want whatever memory is up there filled with pictures of the adventure of sharing Jesus as I go. And I pray that you desire the same thing. I can't make you do it. can't make you want it. That's his job. But if you want it, well, then step out. And last the Lord okay, God, I want to step into this adventurous life and start looking for him. He's going to start showing up. He's going to start showing off. And you're going to be able to say, oh, wait a minute. God has your attention. Now let me help you get pointed in the right direction. And so, Father, we thank you that, Lord, on this Memorial Day, that, Lord, you are, um, you are getting our attention and pointing us in the direction that you want. 
Father, I pray that, Lord, you will help us to seize the opportunities that are before us. And that, Lord, we would take on a life that says, I want to learn you, Jesus. I want to live you. I want to labor with you. Will you help me in that? So that each of us might fulfill the purpose that you've intended. And thus, ultimately, Lord, we ignite change in hundreds. We ignite change in thousands. In Jesus' name. Now, here's how we're going to close. We're going to close with a song. Before we do, I mentioned at the beginning, I... I was going to mention Tommy. Tommy, I just want you to stand up. Here's a guy who, he's known more death and war than probably anybody I've ever met. Spent time in Vietnam. And all of hell and war is poured out. And you, and you see it, and it marks you. In fact, we, we call it post-traumatic stress disorder. But one of the things I love about this man is he's taken what... All of hell has tried to do is destroy, and he's turned it. And so he, he spends time at the, the, uh, the Vietnam War Memorial in Dallas showing up with Christ, showing people that Christ is getting their attention, and this is the direction you need to go. Not everybody goes in that direction, do they? But it's an adventure every time you do it, isn't it? Because when God does the, the change, when we point him in the direction and God does the change, we go, there's nothing better. There's nothing that is more enjoyable to see the power of God manifest. And so, if you don't know how he does it, talk to him. Because that's a model of what I'm talking about. Someone who has made Christ the center of Christianity. And everywhere they go, everybody is, he's the only person I've ever met in my life that I carry his business card in my wallet. When I meet a veteran, I give him his, his card. Why? Because I know that if they'll call him, they're going to meet Jesus in a way that they can relate to. And so I want to encourage you. There, there's no better life than that, is there, Tom? No better life. Let's stand together. Step into it. Let the Lord be known in and through you. Let's finish with one Hey, thank you again for joining us. We hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. And it doesn't have to end there. If you want to find last week's sermon, you can go to Facebook, YouTube, or you can listen to us on the audio podcast. You can let us know if you'd like to be further connected in a life group. But let me go ahead and pray as we close and say, God, thank you for being with us, Lord God. Thank you for helping us to carry your words, Lord God, and change our lives, Lord. Help us to carry your love to those around us. And we thank you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and thank you for being a part. We hope to see you soon.